0: They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tacovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today.
1: Welcome to the Casting Across Fly Fishing Podcast. I'm Matthew of castingacross.com, where I explore the quarry and culture of fly fishing. This is episode 110 which means if you're just tuning in for the first time, you have 109 episodes to catch up on. You're going to be totally lost if you don't go all the way back to the beginning and start and listen to everyone. Just kidding. I don't think there is a serial style fly fishing podcast out there. I guess there's space for that in a relatively congested little world that would be unique and different, but uh, I don't have that kind of time, energy, effort, or content. So Hey, if you uh, want some help and some ideas with getting off the ground, let me know. But that's not what we're talking about today. We're talking about snow. Well, we're actually not talking about snow either, but uh, before I get to listener and reader emails and comments, I just want to talk about snow because as this is being recorded, right behind me, within three feet... I have a window of my uh, upstairs studio, which also happens to be my bedroom, and there is so much snow happening. We're probably at well over a foot today, and it is just delightful. I stayed home from work today and uh, did some work from home, and I'm planning on working after this, but I was able to get out and play with the kids. And I get to go out and do the fun, fun task of snow blowing. So, anyway, why are we talking about snow? We're talking about snow because. Snowy days were one of my absolute favorite days to go fly fishing when I was younger. And here's why. When I was living in Northern Virginia as a teenager, and we'd have snowy days like this, a few things would happen. First of all, that area was very, very transient people weren't particularly good at driving in the snow. So Northern Virginia would get a good amount of snow. I mean, think about where it is just, uh, you know, in in the positioning in the country. It was close enough to the ocean. But uh, people came from all over the place. People because of technology, because of the government, because of defense contracting, and and all of those things. There's people from all over the place. There's people from other countries that had never seen snow before. There's people from the United States that had never seen snow before, and so they were very very quick to shut down school. More than that, our county, we were on the kind of the eastern edge of the county, which is relatively flat and close to the city. But the western edge of the county was mountainous, and at that time, it still might be the, that way today. Um, if, if there was snow on the western side of the school district, then they would cancel school for everybody. So you'd wake up and there might be a few flurries, a couple of flakes on the ground, or it might be a totally normal day and you find out that there's a two hour delay, that there's no school. So as a young man who had just gotten into fly fishing and was really, really eating it up and, and had a, a vehicle, uh, my friends and I would take advantage of these days and say, man, we're going to go fishing. And usually we weren't really respecting the spirit of the snow day because by the time we get to the mountains to fish or up into Maryland or Pennsylvania to fish, uh, there was snow. So we weren't being particularly careful. But again, there wasn't a lot of people on the roads, and it was just a great opportunity to get on the water on a weekday when there wasn't a lot of other people fishing. And it's just some of my absolute most favorite memories uh, come from snow days, whether they were actual literal school snow days or just snowy days that we went. I mean, there's a lot less people on the water. Um, you have the, the lower light, I find. I mean, if, if there's active snow going on, or if it's been snowing, then you have more cloud cover. And so I feel like you have fish that are a little bit um, more bold. They let their inhibitions kind of go away, and so they'll move out uh, and, and and feed a little bit more readily. And I just think that some really interesting thing happens when you have the the surface of the water get broken up. And but with snow, it's not as distracting, and it doesn't uh, cut down on your visibility as much as rain does. So I think it's almost a perfect situation. This is assuming, of course, that you can fish because of the fishery that you're 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 on. So you know a lot of mountain trout streams are this way and a lot of spring creeks are this way uh, tailwaters are the same thing if you get snow it's, it's a really really great opportunity to hit those waters there's some free stones also uh, depending on how they run temperature wise what the fish populations do but um, if you are able if you are willing uh, and if you have the gear then definitely get out and fish on snow days I'm happy to be working from home today. I'm happy playing with my kids. I'm happy to snowblow and to record this podcast. Uh, but it would be really, really nice if I could go fly fishing as well. All right. So, on to some listener and reader feedback. So not surprisingly, I got a little bit, I got a good amount of feedback from an article that I wrote that was called Religion, Politics, and Fly Fishing. If you want to read that, then it's called Religion, Politics, and Fly Fishing. And if you want to listen to it, I read it on episode 103, which is called Fly Fishing, Writing, Speaking, and Voting. And... Basically, I make the case for not wasting your time. If you fly fish a lot, or if you fly fish every once in a while, just don't zero in on just fish, fish, fish on the drive to the stream, your time on the stream, and your drive back from the stream. Um, especially if you fish a lot or if you fish with somebody. Um, I've had great days where I have conversations that's really all about the fish and the fishing and, and, and the real, you know, focused in part of the experience with people. But those aren't my best days. My best days, you know, you take the fishing out of the equation, um, which for some people is hard to do, and I get that. But you take the fishing out of the equation. And what are those really good times? Those really good times are those deeper conversations on the stream side while you're you know you're just taking a break you're having a sandwich or you are walking back to the car or you are in the car uh, on the way back home or or you've stopped on, on on the way to the stream to get breakfast or whatever you know you can talk about well this is my favorite fish and this is my favorite fly and this is how i'm gonna use this fly for this fish you can do that but there's so much more and so i wrote about that and, and uh, I, I said that you know you need to talk about the things that are important and things that matter And it's okay to disagree because there's there's no reason to immediately go on the attack or be defensive when you're having a conversation. Because again, what's the context? The context of of a drive to the stream isn't a debate. And if, if this person and you are going to get so into it that it's going to ruin your day of fishing, that's probably not the kind of person that you want to be fishing with in the first place. So if you can't be cordial in that context, then maybe you shouldn't be fishing with that person, if that makes sense. Uh, or, or maybe it's a, it's a you issue, you need to figure that out. So anyway, all I had to say, I, I wrote this article, and I wrapped it up, I concluded the article by saying that you need to be thinking about having these conversations about religion, and about politics, and about worldview, and about all the things that matter. And I wrapped it up by saying, especially when you're by yourself and really i wanted to kind of hammer that home and i tried to make it subtle but also at the same time clear in the article um, that you need to be thinking about these things so a conversation when we think about a conversation is most uh, uh specifically between you and another person but at the same time i know that i do my best thinking when i have no distractions and sure when i'm fly fishing i'm thinking about what i'm doing but I am rarely so intensely focused in every minute that I can't have this background conversation in my mind about something I'm working through, some conviction, some uh, some some question that I, I had, some conversation I've had with somebody, either that day in the context of fishing or earlier in the week. And so that's my, that was my encouragement in the article. But I got, I got some feedback, and rightfully so, some people pushing back because they have a difference of opinion, and that's cool, and that's great. So Kevin says, sorry, got to disagree with you on this. Three topics generally not allowed in the water, general politics, religion, and work. Exception to politics may be conservation-minded topics like how to better protect Pebble Bay or the Everglades. There may be rare exceptions made under extenuating circumstances, but not as a habit. And I appreciate that, Kevin. And that'd be a great example of if I was fishing with you, uh, I would know that that's not going to be your most favorite topic. But at the same time, i mean, think about you, you, you made an exception. And I think we all have exceptions to this. And, and it's awesome when our exceptions line up. So uh, Kevin's example, and, and I'm not picking on, on him is, you know, you can talk about you can't talk about or shouldn't talk about politics, religion and work. Well, with the exception of politics being conservation. Well, there have tendrils that come out of conservation that reach into all sorts of those things. So it was never my my vocation, but I spent a lot of time significantly involved in some conservation um, volunteer work, where it was a part of my weekly routine, and in some months throughout the week- year, it was it was very very daily routine. So when I was having those conversations. It was me continuing something that was in my mind from, from you know, a 9-to-5 kind of situation. Similarly, you know, none of these issues exist on an island. Again, conservation has tentacles. Your, your conservation uh, uh, convictions stem from your view of the world. They stem from your view of man's role in the world. It stems from your view of government. So there's no way to totally and wholly compartmentalize any one of these issues. And that's why I'm saying, you know, you can sit there and say, we should protect Pebble Bay, we should protect Pebble Bay, and that's a great thing to talk about. But if you, you, you don't tie that into other things, then it's a very singular note kind of conversation. And that's really where you feel somebody out. Say, you know, I think we should protect it in this way. We should just veto everything and make it not an issue. And someone says, well, I think we should go through the back channels to veto it. Not back channels, excuse me, but through the proper channels to veto it. Well, what's the difference between those two worldviews? How how do we agree and yet disagree on how to get there? And that's a reasonable conversation. And we're talking about a very worthy cause. But what is more valuable in that moment? Understanding that other person or just agreeing? Yes, yes, pebble, pebble mine bad, you know? Okay. So that, that's just one, one example. Um, but Kevin, I appreciate the, the feedback. Uh, the other comment on that one that I wanted to share was, um, from Bob and Bob says, a large part of the appeal of fly fishing is the quiet solitude. If I'm fishing with anyone, it is a guide. If you want to have intense conversation during sport, I suggest golf. Now, This is where, again, I totally agree, Bob, and I think this is a great point. Um, I am not a huge fan of having that conversation as I'm casting because most of the places that I fish aren't the kind of place where I want you that close to me. Um, You know, I don't like fishing shoulder to shoulder. Um, And if I am fishing shoulder-to-shoulder with you, there's a good chance there's other people there. So that, that, you know, it starts to get cumbersome and awkward and weird. But again, not the worst thing in the world. I've I've been in steelhead situations where I've been an observer. I don't think I've ever actually fished in that context. And people are talking about sports and they're talking about, you know, news and it's Totally normal, and I almost feel like in those contexts, people are less likely to get irate and to storm off. I mean, people will get really ticked off if you cross their line, or you snag a fish, or you you know throw some trash in the river, or something like that. But it's it's an interestingly calming effect when everyone's just picking up, and mending, picking up, mending, and and everyone's in this rhythm, and so the conversation is kind of left at a nice little simmer. Um, but uh, I, I agree honestly Bob I mean that's that's not my ideal thing is to have a conversation that starts when we both hop in the car at 5 a.m and it concludes at 9 p.m. but in those those interim periods in those little in-between times there's nothing wrong with having that conversation and uh, you know just feeling each other out trying to figure out when the best time to have that conversation is uh, and, and and if it's something that's appropriate based on your relationship and based upon just what's going on in the context Tent and the context, all those things. It's just worth the thinking about. Again, you know, hopefully you're walking away from a day fishing with more than a couple of fish to net or to hand, and a couple of more than pictures. But it's an experience and something that is is tying your time on the water to the rest of your life. So, in as much as you are maybe daydreaming about trout fishing at your desk on a Tuesday, you are in some small way. That's not harming your enjoyment of the, the moment. That's not interfering with your ability to catch fish. You're at least trying to work through an issue that you have from work, from home, from politics, from religion, while you're on the water or while you're you know on your way to the water. But again, like I said, maybe it's just that. Maybe it's never out loud. Maybe it's just in the back of your head, but it's a great opportunity. We don't celebrate the virtue of quiet, of alone, of solitude enough in our culture, and it can really bite you in the rear end. So anyway, some great conversation regarding uh, that article, Religion, Politics, and Fly Fishing, but uh, I would just go ahead and give it a read if you hadn't done that yet. The next bit of feedback is from Stephen. Stephen was commenting on my podcast, Semi-Perilous Wildlife Encounters, and uh, Stephen is the son of Ed Shank, who I've talked about a number of times on this podcast and written about. Um, and, and a great guy and somebody I had the privilege of uh, spending time with and fishing with in South Central Pennsylvania. Um, but this is what Stephen writes. He says, Years ago, there was a family of screech hours that lived in a willow tree high above the meadow at Bonnie Brook. Dad told me of numerous encounters, always just around dusk, of the owls dive-bombing him while working his way back to his car which was parked near what used to be the office for the quarry. No clue if the building or the parking lot is still there, but I can vaguely remember it. Well, Stephen, those are awesome awesome things to share, things that that I really appreciate because uh, it, it enriches my experience. Like knowing that I fish in those places and I walk to those places um, and I fish in those places with your dad, uh, it just, it adds to it. So those little things are so, so cool. So um, so Stephen's talking about the LaTorte spring run that runs uh, from uh, outside of Mount Holly Springs and down into Carlisle before it uh, empties into the County Gwinnick Creek. But it is just one of the more... Um, famous spring creeks in the United States, even though it is diminutive and uh, even though it uh, is kind of a, uh, a shell of its former self. But it's interesting. So I replied to him that uh, I'd never had any runs with owls, but I was harassed on occasion by a territorial goose. And so I can't comment too much on owls. I've seen lots of animals um, on that creek that I've had running with. Enormous snapping turtles, uh, deer that uh, almost jumped right over top of me, um, some raccoons that were like getting closer and closer, and it was just unnerving the way they were doing it, like wondering what's, what's happening here. But this goose uh, laid its nest right next to this awesome hole. And this entire season, this goose would be uh, not close to its nest. It would be off doing something else. But as soon as I got anywhere near it, I wasn't going to bother the nest. I wasn't going to mess with the, the chicks or goslings, whatever you call them, or the eggs. But I just wanted to get the drift underneath the tree that this nest was next to. And so it was the water, the bank this tree in the nest. And so every time I tried to drift uh, a, a fly down underneath that that um, undercut bank where that tree was, this thing would start honking and honking, and it just got to be so obnoxious. I never felt threatened by the goose, um, but it certainly felt threatened by me. But I just remember, you know, you have to be sneaky on this creek and a lot of spring creeks to begin with in order to approach the trout in any sort of um Uh, you know, reasonable manner. But now it wasn't even just being sneaky about the fish. The fish were neither here nor there in my mind. I had to take such a wide berth around this, this um, pool and cast from so far upstream and get a downstream drift and keep taut line. It was adding this entire other uh, level of challenge to an already difficult fly fishing situation. So no owls, but I did have red-winged blackbirds get all over me uh, on that stream. Very, very close to the spot that uh, Stephen was talking about with his dad and the owls. So. I always love hearing historical accounts from some of my favorite fly fishing waters. So that might be a selfish request, but anybody who has information about fishing in the Appalachians and Virginia and, and Maryland and Pennsylvania, spring creeks in South central Pennsylvania, up here in the white mountains and in new England or down in Arkansas in the tailwaters, these places that I absolutely love. I'm more than happy to listen to those stories. Um, Rocky mountain national park, um, that the drift list, I mean, all, all these places that i I kind of bring up over and over again. If you have your own personal stories, I would love to hear them. And, uh, Uh, Who knows how I can work those into something in the the near future. So the third piece of of feedback, it's not really even feedback, but it's actually a criticism that I wanted to level against um, social media, the fly fishing social media. So I don't follow any of the meme accounts, the parody accounts, or things like that, only because I have a really small group of people that I follow to begin with, because uh, it's just kind of how I chose to to do social media. Um, But every once in a while, you know, you you, you follow something from someone to something else, and you go down this rabbit hole. And um, one of the things that I just don't get, and Please feel free to explain it to me in an email, CastingAcross.com or in a a comment on on the show notes to this podcast on castingacross.com, but I don't get why people get bothered by fly fishing companies advertising on social media. So you might not even see this, and you might be rolling your eyes at even talking about this, but it's out there. People get agitated that some brands, and these are brands that are kind of newer brands, And they have chosen to advertise primarily through social media, utilizing um, just, you know, young people, for for lack of a better term. I'm not going to say necessarily influencers or uh, fly fishingistas or whatever you want to say. But there's real animus against these companies because their ads pop up on people's social media. Um, I don't know what you expect to pop up for ads. You like fly fishing content these people have paid what I presume to be the normal rate to Instagram or Facebook or whatever for their content to show up in people's feeds who follow these things. Your problem really shouldn't be with them. You might not like their products. You might think that they're inexpensive or cheaply made or knockoff or things like that. And and that's certainly something to, to talk about. But to get upset that you are constantly seeing their content, that's a platform issue. It's not one of those companies issues. Uh, so anyway, I, I just don't get it and maybe I'm missing something, but, uh, to, to be so angry because as you're scrolling through for every 25th or 30th piece of content, there's an ad for a company. Um, then I'm not sure, sure. It's, it's necessarily worth it. So maybe I'm missing something. I'm not, you know, a, ambassador for any of these companies that are doing this I I know who they are and um, for whatever reason they don't pop up on my feeds so I'm not sure you know what what I would have to do to get these particular companies that are usually the targets of the ire of some of these fly fishing meme accounts to show up consistently on my news feeds but maybe I'm not following enough people maybe I'm not following the right people but maybe just maybe there's something to be said that the uh, the the image that you are angry with is the image that the social media algorithms think that you want to see. Does that make sense? Hopefully it makes sense. Anyway, uh, if, you, if you have more information on that, I'm happy to hear. Again, Matthew at CastingAcross.com. This week on Casting Across, two articles... As per always. And the very first one, which came out on Monday, was called The Swirl. The Swirl. And this is just more of a narrative-focused approach on finding new water and on discovering uh, streams and discovering pools and discovering places where maybe uh, you're finding fish that are off the books, as it were. So I've, I've written kind of how-to's, but this is more of the experience and how the experience itself can be very, very fulfilling. So check that out. And then also, on Wednesday, I put out an article called You Can Never Go Wrong With Flies. You Can Never Go Wrong With Flies. This is a very, very short article, but it basically makes the argument for giving flies as gifts. If you tie, give flies as gifts. If you fish but don't tie, give flies as gifts. If you don't fish but you're giving gifts to somebody who does fish, give flies as gifts. And I give three nice, short reasons why you ought to be doing that in this article. This week's recommendation is... Go to the fly shop. Go to your local fly shop. Uh, This is being recorded on the 17th of December, so we are one week out uh, from Christmas Eve. This will be released overnight, and so there's a good chance the majority of people listening to this, if they listen to it the first day it's out, will be listening to it a week from Christmas. If you have an angler on your list, then go to your local fly shop. Sure, you can order it, but these days, actually, I've been buying more things in person than I ever have, uh, which is seems antithetical because of, of the COVID and whatnot, but... I I just don't trust that stuff's going to get to me on time if I order it via mail. So I'm calling or placing it online and then going and picking up. And a lot of fly shops will offer that, or at least they'll hold it for you, and then you can go and pick it up. But even if you don't have somebody who's a fly fisher on their list, think about some of the other things you can get at fly shops. Clothing, some real spectacular clothing. And I haven't done this as much as I used to, but I used to buy my wife like all um, Orvis and Sims and uh Patagonia and stuff like that from fly shops because it's just you know the highest quality warm nice outdoor gear or you know the the lightweight hiking clothing. So uh, patronize your local fly shop this week. This last week leading up to Christmas. And then if you're listening to this, you know, any other time, that you know that the advice still stands. So my recommendation for you, go to the fly shop, spend a couple bucks, help them out. It's a difficult time for everybody, very difficult time for the small independently owned local niche market stores and fly shops certainly fall into that category so anything you can do can and will help them here at the end of this year thanks for listening to the casting across fly fishing podcast please subscribe in your favorite podcast app and rate the podcast on itunes then head over to castingacross.com where you'll find more info on this podcast and three posts a week on the people places and things that go into the pursuit of fish